0: From Parkway Church in Corona, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. Um, it's, uh, it's the month of love. It's Valentine's Day month. Um, I don't know if you, yeah, it's the month. We can do that. Do you not do that in your house? Some of you are looking at me like, it's done. It's not done yet. Uh, our kids uh, received, they handed out and received Valentine's cards. I don't know if, you, if your kids do that or if you did that. Anybody do that when they were a kid? You know, raise your hand when you're younger. You know, older generation, did you do that when you were kids? When Did you guys have that? Okay, so this been, it's been going around for a while. You know, it's, it's an exciting time. I'm the kind of dad, though, that when our kids bring something home, like like Valentine's, I'm not like, what did you get? I say, what do we get? What do we, we get? What do we... <laughs> Let's sort through this a little bit. And Jody's the organized sorter. You know, there's a pile for this and a pile for that and a pile for that. I'm just like, what can you not eat so that I can have it, right? That's, that's what I'm looking at. I remember when I, when I got in, I think it was high school, and Valentine's cards went from the friendly little, you know, cards to candy grams. The candy grams in our high school you could purchase ahead of time, and they would deliver them on Valentine's Day and I remember sitting there, as everyone w- would, waiting to see how many candy grams you got. And, and you immediately realized whether or not you were a loved one or not, or you had people that admired you or not. And, and to be honest, I don't remember ever getting a candy gram, but, but I remember the feeling of, ho- of hope. Um, it was awesome. As part of this month, we're in a series called Relationship Reset. And what we've been doing is we're we're learning to press the reset button on our relationships specifically our our marriages and approach them as God intended. Here's a kind of a key verse for us in Genesis chapter 2 it says in verse 18 the Lord God said in the creation story the Lord God said is not good for the man to be alone so I'll make a helper who is just right for him. So he looked at the first man and he made the first man a partner. Someone to do life with. We are not meant to do life alone. In any kind of context, we're not meant to do life alone. In verse 24, it says, This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. There is so much just in that verse. There's so much in that verse that we could unpack, but we're not going to unpack it all. But I just want you to look at someone and say, united. Look at somebody, turn around, you know, the person that didn't say anything, tap them on the shoulder and say, united. United. Father God, we just thank you for this opportunity we have to hear from your word, and I pray that you'd open our hearts to receive from you ultimately as you speak and direct me as I speak, Lord, in the name of Jesus, and I pray that we're changed by it, Lord, and that we would approach relationships, God, we approach our marriages, Lord, as you intended, as you intended. We would approach the institution of marriage as you intended. And we would no longer just be together, God, but we would find ourselves united as one in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. So if you are here last week, we talked about how our lives and relationships are centered around something. I was thinking about this. I think um, a big part of our family is centered around Disney. We're big Disney fans in, in our family. I grew up um, watching Disney movies, and I'm pretty sure I memorized all of the classic Disney songs, the classic Disney songs. So when, when my wife and I, Jody, first started dating, we would watch Disney movies, and I would sing along with the songs. And guys, she fell for it. I'm not even kidding. That's not even a joke. She will tell you. So when we uh, when we got married on our wedding day, we had a a keyboardist and a cellist play at our wedding. It was it was incredible. It was beautiful. They played all the songs for the ceremony from the beginning to the end. And in the middle of the ceremony, we you know we walk around. We got married in this beautiful garden, and we walked around to this place where we'd sign the registry. You know, when they sign the registry, and all of a sudden, I hear a familiar tune. And I look up, and my my groomsmen are are swaying back and forth to a song from The Little Mermaid called Kiss the Girl. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not even kidding you. I may or may not have included that song in a proposal, but that's a story for another day you can ask Jody about. If we want a relationship, a marriage that functions as God intended, then we don't center around Disney. We center around him. We need to be Christ-centered. And last week, I gave us one task, and that was to pray together. To pray together as a couple, or if you're single, to pray for your future spouse. Or if you're not on the same spiritual page as your spouse, to to begin to pray for them. To pray. Very simple, but today we're going to take it a little step further, a little step deeper. Here's a key thought for us. It says that this, a mission-driven relationship is a unified relationship. A mission-driven relationship is a unified relationship. In the mind of God, marriage is to be mission-driven. And God's design for relationship, for the two becoming one, I would argue, is supposed to be purpose-driven. That God has a purpose for your life. We say that often, and we can see that, and we can argue that through the scriptures. But God has a purpose for your marriage. God has a purpose for your relationship. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it says this, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. The very first thing that God said to the first couple was multiply. Make babies. Procreate. Fill the earth. I think we've done a pretty good job of that, right? Fill the earth and subdue it. Create and conquer. He looked at the very first couple and said, you have a mission. You weren't just created to enjoy this beautiful garden, but you have a mission. And then when you look at Jesus, the the last thing that Jesus said before he ascended into heaven to his disciples was, You have a mission, go and make disciples. Fill the earth beginning, near the end, go and make disciples. You have a mission. And your marriage has a mission. It's in the beginning of the book. It's at the commission of Jesus. And if you look throughout the, throughout the book, throughout the Bible, you see the, you see the purposes of God twained, that he has a plan not just for the whole community, but he has a plan for, for, for marriages, for individuals. And that is accomplished in unity. In unity. I will make a helper that is just right for him. It's not good for man to be alone. The, the two will be united into one. See, we can serve God better together. And that is not just a message for marriage. That's just a message for people. That in unity, we can serve God better together. When we work together, we can do more. One of my favorite quotes is from Helen keller and it seems to be one of my favorite quotes really over this past year since since my time and our time here at parkway and she said this she says alone we can do so little but together we can do so much and how much more true in marriage how much more true in relationship we have a mission but it happens in unity happens in unity And God in his sovereignty and under his sovereignty, he's always wanting to unite. I like what Ephesians chapter 1 verse 10 says. It says, bringing unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. That God is bringing all things in heaven and on earth into unity. But what God is trying to unify, the devil works to divide. What God is trying to bring together, the enemy works to, to tear apart. In the beginning, the creation story, the, the first man and, and woman have it, have it made, right? They're in, they're in this beautiful garden. It's like an oasis. It's like going on a permanent, all-inclusive vacation trip to your most you know, picture-perfect tropical place. They're in this garden. They're naked, and they have no shame, which means they're comfortable in the skin that they're in. Right? They don't look in a mirror and go, oh. They look in a mirror and go, yeah, Right? They have have a mission, be fruitful, and so they're likely starting that mission, right? Getting some practice in. You can read between the lines there, right? All is good in the story. And then another character is introduced. The enemy of the story. And our spiritual enemy in the story goes by the name the serpent, but we know him as the devil. And what God had brought together, he is seeking to break apart. What God had united, he wants to destroy and divide. So they had one rule. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. One rule. One command. Don't touch that tree. Anything else, fair game. You can touch everything. You can have everything. You can eat it. You see a fruit, pull it off. Except for that one. And so the, the serpent is sly and cunning and as he was. He comes in and he, and he pulls Eve a little bit to the side, right? pulls Eve a little bit to the side and he said, did God really say not to eat from that tree? Did God really say? And isn't that how sin always starts? Isn't that how falling short always starts? Just a little, a little seed of doubt. Is it really going to hurt if you just have one? Is it really that big of a deal? Is it really going to bother anyone? Did God really say? Shouldn't? Not that big of a deal. Is there a way around it? Is there a loophole? You know, we're not really doing that bad stuff. It's not like we're like so and so. Could be worse. I'm not hurting anybody. Did God really say he said to her? See, the first thing the devil will do is to get you to question the Word of God. First thing the devil do is get you to question the word of God, to doubt it, to find a way around it, and to do life without it. And so, if you know the story, Eve takes the fruit, she falls short, she sins, she fell from God's standard. She eats it and then she gives some to Adam. And I wonder how that conversation went. Right, Adam, look what I got, because you know she's still naked and she's holding forbidden fruit. Right, that's just that's temptation at its finest. You laugh, but it's true. He's not, he doesn't care. Oh, yeah, I'll take some. <laughs> Whatever you got, I'll have. And so he ate some, and then they both sinned, and something died in, that them, it died in them that day. And their hearts began to separate from God's heart. And not only that, but their hearts began to separate from one another. So God shows up. And they tried to hide, which is funny, because you can't hide from a, from a God who is everywhere. And you can't hide from a God who knows everything, right? It's like when my kids try to hide in the, under their blanket in their bed, and there's a giant bulge. And you're like, Joshua, you're right there. And he's like, how'd you know? <laughs> so they're trying to hide from God, and, and he confronts them. And, and what happens, it says that, that Adam immediately blames Eve. The woman you put here made me do it. The woman made me do it. What God had unified was now beginning to separate. What God had brought together, there was now a divide. Eve blames the serpent. Everybody starts blaming someone else. And do you know what? Watch that in your own life, how the argument unfolds. We, we, you, can, you, can, you can trace it back to this moment. You get an argument with your spouse, with your with your family, and immediately it's like, well, that's because of this, or because of that, or so-and-so, or you did this, and if I, I wouldn't, you did that. It's, we always point the finger, and it happens right here, but division happens. See, God wants us to be a united front in marriage, and he designed us to be on the same page with him at the center, but the enemy wants to, to divide us. See, if he could divide Adam and Eve, he could stop them or or hold them back from fulfilling their mission, their calling, the purpose that God had for them, right? The Old Testament prophet said this in Amos chapter 3. He says, can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? Can two people walk together without agreeing where to walk? If I took my wife's hand I said, let's go for a walk, and she starts to walk that way, and I start to walk this way, we are either not going to go anywhere, or we're going to go in completely different directions. We're not going to walk together. What is division? Division is divided vision. It's two visions. It's when you have a vision for your life, and you have a vision for your life, but it's not on the same page. It's not on the same page. Marriage doesn't work well with divided vision. It doesn't work well when we're pursuing different ends. Adam and Eve were created, they're put together, they're sent on mission. That mission doesn't work well if they're divided. That, that vision, that purpose, that plan, that mission is, is not accomplished the way God intends it to be accomplished when they're not together, when they're not on the same page. One of the greatest trage- tragedies in marriage is when two people are together, but they're not united. We're together, but you're not on the same page. When I first saw um, Jodi, my wife-to-be, was in church, I think I've shared this story before. I was worshiping with one eye open, like this. And I look around and I saw her and she was beautiful and I fell for her, but it wasn't very long that I wooed her. I got her as charming as I was. It's hard to fall for a guy with a 1995 Honda Civic hatchback that's got a leaky roof and a modified exhaust so it sounds like a race car. It's hard, it's difficult, yeah. (laughs) Give it a try. Not long after that, we we started dating after we met and we picked July 4th as our kind of official day because it's easy to remember because that's the American Independence Day, so it's the day we lost our independence. And so that's our day, July 4th. It's true. It's a true story. But not long after that, I got a call from a church that asked me to come and move five hours away and be their youth pastor full time to start August 15th. And I felt like this was something that God was was leading me towards an opening for me. And so we had to have a very real, candid conversation early on into our relationship. I'm moving. Are we going to do this or are we going to cut it now? Are, are, are we going to pursue this? You know, because we didn't just date for the sake of dating. It wasn't just so that we could have someone. It's It's to pursue life partnership. We were looking for someone that we could marry. So we had to ask ourselves, is the mission that God is calling me to something that he's calling us to? And are we going to unite around it? Is what God is calling me to, is this something that God could be calling us to? And are we going to unite around it? Because we're not going to get very far if we're together but not united. Marriage is coming together. It's a unity. It's a two becoming one. And a marriage that functions as God intended centers and unites around the mission of God. God has a purpose for your marriage. Pop quiz time. Somebody tell me some couples in the Bible. Just shout out a couple from the Bible. Abraham and Sarah, good. Good mission. God had a plan and purpose for them. When they tried to accomplish it by their own plan, by their own way, it didn't work out very well. Joseph and Mary. Boaz and Ruth, yeah. Yeah. Adam and Eve, that's an easy one. I just mentioned them. Come on. it's good. Anybody else? Isaac and Rebecca. I want to share a couple with you that's not talked about a lot. And it's a couple that are a scripture powerhouse. And they go by the name Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla and Aquila were a mission-driven couple. They were Christ-centered, and they were united, I believe, around the mission of God. And we, we hear about them through their journeys with Paul, the apostle, in the New Testament book of Acts and Romans. And I want to give three things very briefly, three things that we can learn about them, but we can also learn from. Right? We learn about them, but we can learn from The first is this, is that they drew closer to God together. So in the book of Acts, Paul meets this couple while on a missionary journey to Corinth, and Paul is a tent maker. He makes tents, and they're tent makers, and so they work together, and then he stayed. Paul stayed with them in their their home, and I thought that's interesting because here you have a couple that's opening their home to a missionary. They're opening their home to someone who needs a place to stay. Now, we don't know, but we can assume, but we don't know if they're followers of Jesus, but what we do know as you read the story, and I think it's Acts chapter 18, is that when Paul leaves to continue on mission, is they leave and go with him. They leave and go with him. I thought, that's interesting. Because you, you don't have a couple doing that unless something, growth is happening in them, and they decide together that we're going to do this. Right? So they're, they're, here you have a couple that is united around Christ, that are growing together, and feel drawn to the mission that God has for them. Maybe if one person is growing that person may feel drawn to the mission that God has for them. But it would really take two people growing relatively at the same pace together, united, for them to pursue the mission that God has for them. So they, they, they drew closer to God together. The second is this, and it follows hand in hand, is that they served God together. So they they left with Paul and they follow him and partner with him on this missionary journey. Right? For this to happen, again, they have to have... A conversation, a decision that says, hey, are we going to leave what we know? Are we going to go do this together? Are we in this together? A little bit later in the story, a a guy named Apollos is preaching boldly about Jesus. And Priscilla and Aquila, they hear Apollos preach. And so, they again, they invite him over. There's another invitation. Come into our house. They invite him over. And it says that both of them, Priscilla and Aquila, teach him more adequately the way of Jesus. You don't have a couple who, who, who do something like this who aren't serving together. Maybe you might have one. Hey, you might have someone call up for coffee. But they're in this together, which follows to number three, is that they were partners in the, in the Lord's work. What's really cool about this couple, Priscilla and Aquila, is you never, ever hear them mentioned alone. Every time they're mentioned, they're mentioned together. Isn't that cool? Every time this, this powerhouse couple is mentioned... It's not just Aquila, it's not just Priscilla, it's Priscilla and Aquila. And what's interesting is, more often than not, Priscilla is mentioned before Aquila, and Priscilla's a woman, and in that time period, a woman wasn't wasn't very highly regarded, but to put a woman's name first meant that she was most likely the more predominant teacher of the two. I just thought that's interesting. Go women, right? Here's what Paul said in Romans chapter 16. He said, greet Priscilla and Aquila... My co-workers in Christ Jesus, they risked their lives for me. And not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles, all the churches of unbelievers who had come to know Jesus, are grateful for them. Greet also the church that meets in their house. They're life group leaders. They're life group hosts. They're hosts in life groups. Come on. I that's mean, Whatever for me. I was excited about that. So here is a couple that is Christ-centered and mission-driven and they accomplish much. They risk their lives for Paul and all the churches are grateful for them because they were united, because they were together. God has a mission for you. Yes, God has a plan for your life. He has given you gifts and talents, abilities. But if you find yourself in partnership and relationship, he has a plan and purpose for your marriage. He has a a, a mission for you to accomplish. What does fulfilling God's mission look like in your marriage? What does it look like in your relationship? Are you mission-driven? Think about this. Are you mission-driven, or is your life and relationship centered around something else? Is it centered around what God's purposes and plans are for you, or is it centered around something else? And I talked about this a little bit last week, right? Sometimes we center around ourselves. Or our kids. Or maybe it's our jobs and career and success and money and the list can go on. But Is it centered around that? Because a Christ-centered marriage, we talked about this last week, that Christ needs to be the center. A Christ-centered marriage will be a mission-driven marriage. A Christ-centered relationship will be a mission-driven relationship. Let's just go, you know, this this can bleed into any relationship context. A Christ-centered friendship is a mission-driven friendship. Because you can't be Christ-centered and not be mission-driven. Because God is a missional God. You see it all throughout the story from the beginning to the end. A a Christ-centered father-son relationship is a mission-driven relationship. You just just fill in the gaps. A Christ-centered neighbor friendship is a mission-driven friendship. I'm just trying to pull everyone into this, right? doesn't matter who you are. Are you mission-driven? Because God has a plan for your life, but it works well and it works better in unity. He didn't say to Adam, Adam, I got a mission for you. Be fruitful and multiply. Oh, that's not going to work. We should create someone else to help you. He said it's not good for man to be alone. And then when he completed them, he made them two. The two became one. That's when he said, I got a plan for you. I have a purpose for you. Fill the earth. Fill the earth. Multiply and subdue it. Work. I got a plan. I got a purpose. When Jesus said said to the disciples the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all nations, He didn't just say it to one or two. He said it to the group. We have a mission as Parkway Church. It's not just me. And you're mistaken if you think it's the pastor's job. You don't know the Bible because the Bible says that the pastors' work, the, the, the pastors plural, is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. It's our mission. It's our ministry. It's ours. United, we can be a powerful force. Alone, we can. Alone, we can not accomplish it. Adam couldn't accomplish it by himself. Eve couldn't accomplish it by herself. But together, and together, we can do so much. For Priscilla and Aquila, their mission was traveling with Paul and supporting him on his journey, opening their home to others to support and to teach. It was doing life groups in their home. So let me just talk to a, a couple of different people here. And I'm going to invite the keys to come up. So for those of you who are here and you say, well, I'm not married. If you're still missing it, what about me? Perfect. Because if you are here last week, you don't need anybody to complete you. Only Jesus can complete you. If you want a future marriage that honors God, that is Christ-centered and mission-driven, then you begin to be Christ-centered and mission-driven today. You begin to put Christ at the center. You pursue Jesus, and you serve Jesus, and you do that wholeheartedly. And do you know what will happen? You will draw, you will attract someone that's the same. We don't attract who we want. We attract what we are. So I become the person that I'm looking for. I want someone that's mission-driven, then I need to become mission-driven. I want someone that's Christ-centered, then I need to become Christ-centered. I read a story a while ago, um, I believe it was in one of Andy Stanley's books, and he talked about this young girl who grew up in a Christian home. Familiar story. Grew up in a Christian home, but then you know, through high school, she got into the party scene, and then in college, university, she joined a sorority and got into to drugs heavily, and her life just spiraled out of control. Slept around, guy after guy, guy after guy, party after party, drug after drug, you know, you name it. Somewhere in the mix there, she met a nice Christian guy, like a a nice Christian guy, whatever that means. But apparently this guy was, was, was the guy that she had hoped for all along. It's the kind of guy that she wanted to settle down with. I can make a life with this guy. She goes home and she tells her mom, do you know what her mom says? Very kindly and gently says, honey, a guy like that isn't looking for a girl like you. If you want a Christ-centered, mission-minded marriage in your future, then you become Christ-centered, mission-minded today. If you're here and you're saying, well, I'm single and I never want to mingle, great. (laughs) Great, because you have everything you need to be Christ-centered and mission-minded. You have everything that you need in Jesus. You have everything you need in this community to pursue the mission that God has for your life. And if you're here and you say, well, my spouse isn't on the same, same page, we don't believe what we, you know, the same thing. Don't tune me out, right? If you want to honor God with your marriage, then you become Christ centered. You, in the marriage, you become Christ centered. You become mission driven, and that will bleed into your marriage. I love what, what Peter said. I mentioned this last week. He said that even if they do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by your behavior. Paul later on says this. He says, how do you know, wife, if you will not save your spouse, your husband? How do you know, husband, if you will not save your wife? How do you know? You be Christ-centered. You be mission-minded. And watch that impact your, your relationship, your marriage. There are ways that we can come together and be united and be missional, even though we may not be on the same page. So what is your mission? Person, couple, married, Are you serving together? What can you do together? A mission driven relationship is a unified relationship. I want to give you some examples. Serve in church together, get involved together, volunteer at an event in the community together, open your home, invite people over. You're like, well, I'm super introverted. I know it's hard work. It takes sacrifice, but Jesus sacrificed for us, right? Host an international student. Sponsor a child. Do something that doesn't give you any return. It only helps others. Maybe you're not doing the same thing, but you're, you're in the same lane. You know, for last uh, six years since we've had our, our youngest son, Jody has been holding the fort at home for the most part we always say this, that she does what she can do so I can do what I can do. And I can't do what I do if she doesn't do what she does. If she doesn't hold the baby right now, I can't preach. If she doesn't, you saw me leading worship today. If she's not helping getting the kids ready, three kids, they're crazy kids. I've met them. (laughs) If she's not getting them ready in the mornings and taking care of that, I can't be here for practice and going over the word and being with the team. I I can't do that. So we're not doing the exact same thing, but we're in the same lane. We're championing one another, right? The mission is ahead, and so that's the mission. This is, this is what I'm doing. This is what you're doing. Let's, let's come together. Unity doesn't mean that you're the same. It just means that you're united. You're not just sharing an address. You're not just vacationing together. You're not just doing life and kids together. You're fulfilling purpose together. A mission-driven relationship is a unified relationship. So I want to pray for us, but I just want to say this. May we be a church, Parkway Church. May we be a church who values God's design for relationships. At this church, we value God's design for relationships. May we be a people who put Christ at the center of our lives and relationship. Single or married. Dating or not married. Married. May we be a people who put Christ at the center of our lives and relationships. And may we come together in unity. Let me say that again. May we come together in unity. See, what what God is trying to unify, the enemy will work to try to divide. Do you know the enemy actively works against, I'll say our church, but all churches, to divide, to cause division? Because if he can get us fighting with one another, he can stop us from fulfilling the mission God has for us. So may we come together in unity, fulfilling God's mission and purpose for our community here, for our relationships, and for our marriages. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we just give you glory and we give you praise. And I thank you, Lord, that you created us, that you designed us. But not only that, but you purposed us as individuals with gifts and talents and abilities and, and through Christ and through your, spirit, your spiritual gifts, God, to, to, to fulfill, God, the calling and the purposes that you have for us as individuals. But not only that, you call us, Lord, in our relationships to fulfill the mission that you have for us. And we can look at people like Priscilla and Aquila and we can learn from their example in our marriages, God, to be people who not only put you at the center of our individual life, but pe- be people who put you at the center of our lives and be people who are mission-driven. But, Lord, not only that, but let's take it even deeper. Let us be a community, Father, God, that are united, that, t- that come together, that come together, God, united so that we can fill the mission that you have for us. Let us, as a church, God, put you at the center as individuals in relationships in such a way that we can be mission-driven, that we can accomplish, God, what you have set for us as a church, Parkway Church, Lord, in the name of Jesus. And I pray for every marriage here, regardless of what it looks like, Regardless, God, of of the the journey that each individual in that marriage is, God, I pray in Jesus' name, you begin to work in a reconciliation. God, you begin to work in unity, Father God. Lord, you would begin to to reveal God's plans and purposes. God, you would bring people into togetherness, God, in such a way that they begin to look down, even if they're not on the same spiritual page, even if one Father God doesn't call on you as Lord, but they begin to pursue Christ unknowingly in Jesus' name. I pray for salvations, God, in those homes. I pray for salvations in those homes, that as you begin to work in one Father God, you're going to save another in Jesus' name. And I pray for those, God, who are unmarried, who are single, but are looking to marriage in the future. I pray that you would help them, God, in the name of Jesus, to be Christ-centered, to be mission-minded now, so they begin to find and attract people who are Christ-centered and mission-minded in Jesus' name. But for all of us, God, let us just be mission-minded, because if we call ourselves Christ-centered, we can't separate it in Jesus' name. So give us the strength, give us the power. Lord, be with us, God, as only you can. And I pray against the enemy who seeks to kill, steal, and destroy, God, who seeks to divide, who wants to separate, who wants to tear apart, who wants to break the unity, not only in, in friendships, not only in relationships and marriages in this church, but also this church. And so I pray against him in Jesus' name. And I pray, God, that you just put your hand upon this church and its people. I pray that you put your hand upon the, the ministries and the programs. Father God that we would be a united front not only as individuals not only in our marriages but as a church in Jesus name and I just declare, Father God, that 2020 and the years to come, Father God, there would be a, there, be a shift in the atmosphere. There, God, there, this, this topic of being mission-minded would be a game-changer for us, Father God, because we begin to recognize that we're not just called to be coming coming to a, to a building to hear a preacher preach, but we are called to get on board, to be, to be mission-minded, to pursue the purposes you have for us. So, so in Jesus' name... In Jesus' name, have your hand upon us, protect us, shelter us, God, and give us strength and ability so when the enemy does attack, we are too strong. We are too strong for him to get inside. We are too strong for him to divide, in Jesus' name. We will not give in to the temptation that he puts before us because we have set our focus, our eyes on you, in Jesus' name. God, we bless you. And we love you and we thank you for the calling, for the purpose, for the mission, God. And we just ask that you give us what we need so we can accomplish it. Help us to see it, help us to take hold of it, help us to run with it. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Come on, everybody said, A mission driven relationship is a unified relationship. Let us be people who are not only unified in friendships, but are unified in all relationships and marriages and, and in our church so that we can accomplish what God has for us. God bless you. We will see you next week. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message brought you closer with Jesus and gave you a better understanding of your walk with him. If you would like to know more about who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at parkway.church.